And we're going to look at um, a fun passage today. You might not think it's fun. I think it's great. Um, the end of chapter 4 and then the start of chapter 5. In the start of chapter 5, a couple of people die, which is a bit crazy. So we're going to get to that uh, in a little while. But if you've got your Bible open for Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37, um, you'll see, hopefully, that your Bible commentators would have put something like um, they had everything in common or all the people shared, which is what we read at the end of chapter 4. And I think if you're honest, if you think about your own kind of life, you think the idea of sharing stuff, you giving away your things and people giving you their stuff is really appealing, isn't it? We like the idea of sharing stuff. We like to think we're really kind of sharey people. But actually, I think our normal behavior actually is to kind of hoard stuff. We're all hoarders. I don't know if you've seen those kind of programs where you a life of grime and all that kind of stuff. And you see these people that just hoard stuff. I mean, some of them just keep milk cartons forever and all sorts of things. Like Jason's Kitchen. That came from Jason, not me, Adele. Um, but we like we like try and keep stuff. Like So um, who likes Mountain Dew? Was it just me, maybe? Oh, there's a couple of people. Like, there's this most amazing American soft drink, which is like my favorite thing in the world. So if anyone ever goes to America, that's what you've got to bring back. But if I was to share that with you, it would be a momentous occasion. It would be a real blessing because like normally we try and keep things for ourselves. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought how much money would be enough money for me. You know, if you think, oh, look, there's a 150 million pounds on the Euro Millions this Friday. And what grace tends to do, and actually, if I'm honest, I tend to do, is, oh, I'll hypothetically spend 150 million in my head. This is what I get. I get my yacht, I get a house, I get another house, I get a car, another car. I might give some to charity. I might. I like the idea once of having my own zoo or safari park. You know, I mean, I said this a long time ago. I'd love to go to, I said I'd love to go to the heart of East Africa and we'd set up an adoption home. And goes, oh, that's so lovely. And I was like, for baby animals. If we had, you know, there's this hypothetical thing where you go, oh, I've got lots and lots. If we've got all this money, how much is enough? And this morning, and it might be that's why a couple of people are late, they're going, oh, I've read ahead, I know what's coming. I want to talk to you about giving. I want to talk to you about money, because that's what we're seeing in Acts chapter 4 at the end of it, and what we see at the start of chapter 5. And we see a good example of what to do with our money, our time, our energy, and we see a bad example of what to do as well. So let's just read Acts chapter 4, um, the end of it. I'm just going to read it for you. It says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet." Verse 32 says, if you haven't got it in front of you, it says, The full number of those that believed were of one heart and one soul. No one said anything that they had belonged to them uh, and was their own, but they had everything in common. And I read that, and I think that's an amazing picture of what a community looks like, isn't it? Wouldn't that be a lovely thing to be a part of? 
that whatever you have, whatever property, possessions you have, is not solely for your benefit, but it's for the benefit of all the people that you're sharing your life with. This isn't just a, I've got a car, so I'm going to put it in the pot. This isn't a free-for-all of throw stuff in and take something out. But this is kind of intentional living of people saying, well, actually, this shirt, if you need another shirt, is, is yours. I don't need it. And, you know, the, the car, well, I've got a second car. You need a... You need a car. We need a new music stand or some new music. I've got some new music and a new music stand for whoever was playing their instrument there. Possessions weren't the most important thing to the people in Acts chapter 4. Because I think what you do with your money, which we all have, whether we've got a lot of it or we've got a little of it, what we do with our money, what we do with our possessions, I think declares a lot about what we stand for. A lot about what we stand for as a community. What do we as a church spend our money on? It says a lot about us, doesn't it? You could say, well, I spend all my money on cars. Well, maybe you like cars. I spend all my money on food. You like food, etc., etc. What you spend your money on is kind of a real insight as to uh, what you're like, really. And it says this, to be a, a community, they were of one heart and one soul. That doesn't mean that uh, everybody was the same, but it means they were united together. See, unity and being of one mind, of one heart, of one soul doesn't mean that we're all the same. We're all different in this room, but it means we're kind of together on one mission, doing the same thing. It doesn't mean we all necessarily agree on X, Y, and Z. But I think this kind of idea of being one heart and one soul, which we read in Acts, is more about actually considering the needs of others um, as your own. So if you're in need and you recognize that they're in need, it's sorting out the needs of others. And actually, I think to sum it up, Acts chapter 4 is about loving one another. It's about being generous with one another. Often we say, oh yeah, oh, I love you, or I love this, or I love that, but we don't demonstrate it. We just say it with words. I was reflecting on this idea, and I thought, well, generous people, how often do you have hostile relationships and fall out with people who are generous towards you? Not very often, do you? You know, you go, you go for a meal together, and uh, you're just about, to, oh, I'll get this. No, it's all right, I'll get this. No, 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 I, I really, I'll pay for it. No, 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 I'll pay. And you get, it gets a bit heated then, because it's who's going to pay for the bill. But you get the point I'm making. When there's generous people... You're not having hostile relationships. When you're generous to one another, you can be of one heart and one soul. It's when you have people that take. It's when you have people that are called sponges who aren't generous that you start having problems. You see, I think generous people get along with each other. I mean, how many church splits, church politics, church fights have you heard about where both sides of the argument are generous? Probably zero, ever. It's when some people are like, no, I want to take, and this is mine, and I want this, and I want that, as opposed to, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to love you. I'm going to bless you. Generous people get along together. And I think it's a real key to understand Acts chapter 4. It's actually, as a people here at Redeemer King, we have to be, as our principles, generous with each other. We can't be people that just take, 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 take. We have to be people that give. Because my prayer is, if you are someone that just takes, 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 that you stick out like a sore thumb here. I know that sounds a bit harsh, but really, we want to be a place where people are generous with one another. We regard what belongs as your own as to give to somebody else. You have extra food? Invite them around for a meal. You got a spare car? 
lend it to someone. Better give it to someone. That's what Carl was talking about a few weeks ago. You see, I think God puts people in our lives. I think people uh, come into our lives and we have an option of, well, what are we going to do with this person? Are we going to meet their need? Are we going to be generous to them? Sometimes I think, oh, somebody else will deal with it. We presume that someone else will be generous, so we don't have to. But I think actually there's a lesson to be learned there that actually God wants you and me to be his hands and feet. And to be that, I think, is to show generosity. You see, if we show generosity, if I'm shown generosity, I'm much more likely to show generosity to somebody else. It's like um, when you're driving a car. You know, if you get let out in traffic, you're much more likely to let somebody else out. That's true, isn't it? If I'm never let out, I'm like, there is no way you are coming out because I've been sat in this queue for half an hour. But if somebody's let me out two minutes before, I'm like, oh, wonderful. You can all come out. (laughs) Ten of you, it's fine. It's lovely. What's another minute on my journey? If people show generosity to you, you're much more likely to show generosity to others. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. You see, a generous community is generous because of God's grace. We're not just generous for no reason, but we're generous because God's been generous to us. That's the theme of what we read in the Bible. So in our case, Jesus uh, and Jesus' death and his resurrection, as the apostles say here, um, if we trust in Jesus, then great grace is upon us. In other words, when we're being generous to others, it's because God's been generous to us. In sending Jesus, this is the most generous gift that anybody has ever shown to anyone. And so what should our response be to generosity? It should be to be generous to others. According to verse 33, the community are bestowed with grace because the name of Jesus is exalted, because Jesus is being shared. So if we're a part of a church where we're preaching the gospel, we're telling people about Jesus, where people are understanding and hearing about the grace of God, We should be a community that is generous in our spirit as a result of that. It's probably in churches where there isn't the preaching of the gospel, where Jesus isn't elevated and made high, that there there isn't a generosity of spirit that goes along it because we forget what we've been saved from and into. We can never forget the good news of Jesus because if we separate that off, well, it's no wonder that we're not generous to one another because we've forgotten that God has been generous towards us. So the apostles here, you'll read, are constantly saying and constantly reminded, Jesus has died, but Jesus has beaten death and he's alive now. So what does that mean for you? It means you can beat death too and you can be alive if you trust in Jesus. It's a constant reminder of the generosity of God towards you so you can show generosity to others. Verse 34, the result is this. This is staggering. There was not a needy person among them. Not one. Who here's got needs? Whether it's, I need to get this baby out of me, or I could do with some extra food on the table this week, or I could do with a better... We've all got needs, haven't we, whether they're financial or otherwise. But this says there was not a needy person among them. All of the needs were met in the whole community because people were generous towards one another. And this is how they did it. As many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as had any need. Don't worry, this isn't a sermon saying go home and sell your house and then bring a sack of money and lay it at mine and Carl's feet. 
I mean, I, I wouldn't go for the kind of we're capital A apostles anyway. I wouldn't go for that. But the idea, that's not what I'm saying. I don't want you to come next week. It would be funny. But don't come next week with like a big Santa sack full of cash and say... <laughs> you can if you want, but that's not what I'm telling you to do. But back in the day, your money, much like today, a lot of money is tied up in property, isn't it? People's wealth is tied up in, well, I own this house, or I've got this business or that. Back in the day, it was, well, I own this field, I've got this farm, I've got this house, and that's where all their wealth was tied up in. And what we're reading here is, they were going to their homes and saying, oh, well, I'll sell it, actually. And I'll take all that money that I've just amassed and give it to the work of the church. Give it to the work of the apostles. That's pretty costly living, isn't it? I mean, okay, if you're renting, it doesn't apply. But if you've got a mortgage, if you've got a house here today, how costly would it be for you to go home to sell your house and bring the money to church next Sunday? It's pretty costly living, isn't it? But they were prepared to do that. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to guilt you into doing that. And it's like the people that don't have mortgages are like, yes, I'm okay. But it just gives you an idea of how generous this community was. Because you might go, oh, I'm generous because, you know, I support the baby pandas. And I do this and I do that. But uh, this takes generosity to a whole new level, isn't it? If they're prepared to sell their homes, their fields, their livelihoods. You know, if they're to sell their field, which is what they do for a living, if they're working on the farm or they're working in the vineyard, well, what does that mean? Where's my income going to come from? They don't appear to be totally worried about that because everybody's needs are met. So if you meet the needs of someone else and that creates a need in your life, your needs are met by somebody else. And it's a remarkable testament of God's grace. I want to say this to you, and there's a little kind of line that maybe you could remember or pin to your fridge or whatever. It's, we should use our money to love people not love money and use people. Too often in the world, we use our money um, not loving people. We use it to exploit people. But we should use our money that we have, not love the money itself, but use it to show love to others. Here's an example of that. Verse 36. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is remarkable. Okay, I don't need to miss this. The whole community, we're told, is being generous, all of them. But one person gets a bit of a, a shout-out on the radio, if you like. Everybody's generous, but there's one guy called Joseph. That's his real name, but he's got a nickname, Barnabas, because he's the son of encouragement. If you read through the book of Acts, and we'll, as we'll go through it, you'll see this guy pops up at different times. He's famous for being someone who encourages people. Oh, it's all right, mate. I'll sort you out. I'll help you. I'll bless you. I'll support you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, do you have a nickname? At school, my nickname was Beaver. Because, I mean, I've had my teeth kind of sorted by now. But I had massive front chompers. They're still quite big, but I hide them quite well. Even the teachers would call me Beaver. That's what I was famous for. That was my nickname. It's rubbish. I would much rather be a son of encouragement. Wouldn't you? Now, I don't mean start calling me Barney. But it's quite a good nickname to be known as someone that encourages, to be known as someone who blesses. And it got me thinking, what are you known as? I remember going for, there's a bit of a story. I'm not going to tell you who this is, but uh, I went for a meal with some Christian leaders. And we had this lovely meal. I think it was like a... 
I think it was Christmas time, I think. Nice Christmas meal, great time. And we decided, because it was the season for giving and happiness, uh, which is what Christmas is for you Scrooges, that we would put a little bit extra on. You know, we'd let's say it was a tenner each. Well, we'd, we'd give £15 so that the staff had this nice little, the, the wonderful staff who came to us had a nice little bonus at Christmas time. And all of us would do it. And so there's these Christian leaders around the table, and we all do that. And then um, we're all sat there, and we go, yeah, that covers the bill and whatever. When one Christian leader on the opposite side of a table starts taking money from the middle of a table. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? He's saying, well, I've paid too much. Why should I have to tip these people? I just want to cover my bill and nothing more. And I thought, wow, forever now, in my mind, that Christian leader, I'm not telling you who he is, is known as tight. They're tight with their money. They're not generous. As Christians, do we want to be known as tight or generous? Because, good answer. Because what impression does it paint to the world? Do people at work think you're tight with your money? If they do, I think that's a problem. Because it doesn't speak of God's been generous to me, so I'm generous to others. It speaks of, oh, well, maybe God's been a bit tight with me, so I'll be tight with you. See, I think we want to shake. If we're tight, I think we want to lose that. Because I think we have to be generous with all that we have. And that means not just our money, that means our possessions. And I think really important means our time. I think more precious than any money that you have in the world is your time. What you give yourself to. If that means picking up the phone and calling someone, I'm pretty sure they'd appreciate it. If that means popping around and saying, how are you? That can be of far more value than sticking a five-pound note in an envelope and giving it to them. Think about how we can be generous not only with our possessions and our money, but with our time. After all, Barnabas was a son of encouragement. That was what his name meant. You know, we can be encouraging, can't we, with our words. You know, one of these guys might come up to me and say, Dan, I really love your beard. It's fantastic. I wish I had a beard like you. And you know what that does? That blesses my heart. That encourages me. But as long as words encourage us, but so do gifts, don't they? If someone says, oh, I've, I've just made this for you, or I, I thought you might need this. It looks pretty cold. I know you don't have a coat. Here's a big coat. Doesn't that encourage you? I kind of get the impression that Barnabas was just going around just encouraging and blessing people. What a great nickname to have. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could call everybody in the church, Barney, one, two, three, four, five, six, because we're all encouraging each other. We're all blessing each other. Wouldn't that be an amazing community to be a part of? This is where you respond. <laughs> that wasn't encouraging. <laughs> it would be fantastic. That as a church, we're known as people that actually know when it comes to our money, when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to our time, we're generous with it. That would be a fantastic reputation for Redeemer King Church to have in the town of Chesterfield. In sharp contrast, we can get it massively wrong. This is Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? 
while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias, this is the scary bit, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, I can imagine him saying it like this. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. You can just kind of imagine Peter kind of proclaiming that. The men that buried your husband are here for you. And you know what? Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. That's a huge contrast, isn't it? Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the one who blesses, the one who encourages, the one who everyone wants to be like. Ananias and Sapphira. I've met a few Barnabases. It's a good name. Barney for short. It's great. I haven't met any Ananiases or Sapphiras. Have you? No. Good. Otherwise it just undoes my whole argument. I haven't met any because actually it's not a great thing to be named after, is it? Ananias and Sapphira. It starts so well, I think. Look at verse 1. They sold their property. They did exactly the same thing that Barnabas did. They said, yes, I'm going to sell my property. I'm going to take my stuff and I'm going to give it to everybody. I want to say that it was completely voluntary. At no point do the apostles say, you must go home now and sell all your stuff and bring it back to us and lay it at our feet. Both Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira chose to do this. It was their property. Verse 4, Peter says, well, when it remained unsold, wasn't it yours to do whatever you liked with? You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to give any money towards the apostles and towards the work of the church. But there's a difference Whereas Barnabas sold his property and brought all the money, Ananias and Sapphira claimed to bring all the money. I can imagine it's a little bit like this. They um, sell their property, and let's say it's £600,000, because they operated with pounds sterling back then, in case you didn't know. £600,000, and they brought it, and they say, Peter, this is the value of our property, £600,000, this is everything. Whereas in reality, they'd sold it for £800,000. And what they wanted to do was keep £200,000 back for themselves. Keeping £200,000 back for themselves isn't necessarily a problem. But claiming that they're giving everything when they're not is. Lying to God, as Peter puts it, is a problem. Claiming to be holy and upright and wonderful, like Barnabas was, but actually being deceitful is not cool. They claimed they'd given all the money, but they kept a healthy portion for themselves. The reality was that Ananias and Sapphira were actually hypocritical. 
They wanted to look good. They wanted to look like they were generous. But actually, on the inside, they weren't. And this is, this is the key bit. People that are hypocritical, people that want to look like they give but don't actually disrupt the unity of the church because they're people who will take from you and they won't actually give. These are the people that cause the infight and these are the people that cause the problems that we encounter in this world. They like the idea of everybody having everything in common as long as everything belongs to them. So to cut a long story short, they lie. Lie to God. God obviously, through the Holy Spirit, tells Peter. Peter has some remarkable insight into the fact that they're lying. I mean, he wasn't at the sale of the property. He's not going to know how much they sold it for. But God gives him a word and he knows. And we see that, well, actually, as a result, they drop down, both of them, husband and wife, and they die. They said, I'll give everything to God's work, but actually they weren't giving everything to God's work. And I've heard it before, and I can kind of imagine Ananias and Sapphira saying this, and I don't believe it's true. When people say, I don't have anything at all to give. That's kind of the impression that I get with Ananias and Sapphira is, oh, well, we need to keep this because I don't actually have enough to give. But as I said before, we can give in many different ways. It doesn't have to be by selling our field and bringing a money bag and putting it at our feet. So we're not to be uh, beating ourselves up about what we can or we can't give, but more saying, well, actually, whatever I do have, I want to be generous with it. Whatever I'm going to have in the future, I want to be generous with it. Ananias, Sapphira, they lie and they get struck down. Ananias just drops at Peter's feet. And these guys who were stewards for the day, like stewards today who are welcoming, serving your tea and coffee, the stewards with Peter, they were like burying dead bodies. Bet they didn't sign up for that when they signed up for the welcome rotor. No, not brought your shovel. <laughs> well, let's hope it doesn't happen. And then three hours later, Sapphira, she's been out shopping. She's been out spending a £200,000, probably. And Peter gives her the chance to repent. He says, how much did you sell this house for? £600,000. Is that how much you sold it for? And she says, yeah, that's exactly how much we sold it for. Both Peter and Sapphira know that's a porky pie. Both of them know that's not true. He gives her the opportunity to repent, but she doesn't take it. She can be truthful, but like her husband, she falters. And uh, Peter says, the same people who buried your husband, she might not even know that her husband's dead. Until Peter says, the same people that buried your husband are coming to get you. She doesn't even have time to go, wait, what? Immediately, she falls down as well and is buried outside. It's pretty shocking, isn't it, actually, when you read that passage. I said to Grace, I was like, oh, it's kind of cool, isn't it? It's one of those cool Bible stories. And she was like, don't say it's cool. It's powerful and it's shocking, actually. It's not cool, is it? Even remotely. But it's powerful. And I'm going to take a gamble here and say that most of us don't like it. Most of us are actually like, this isn't fair. And on the inside, we're like, poor Ananias. Poor Sapphira. How dare God do that? That doesn't seem very loving of God. We may not like the story, but I want to say this. If Hopefully at Redeemer King, this will be true. 
But if we're claiming to be a part of a community that says we're serious about God, we're serious about seeing him today, we're serious about God intervening in our lives, we're serious about meeting him, we're serious about other people outside of our context meeting with Jesus, why are we surprised then if God takes us seriously? Why would we be surprised if God wants to protect a community of those who love him? You see, I think uh, as Christians, what we should be doing is asking for God, asking for his power, asking for him to come into our hearts, into our lives and making things right in our world as we go. Ultimately, what happens in the story of the Bible is that one day God will come back in the person of Jesus and he will right every single wrong. Yes, he's going to make everything right again. There will be no more sin. He will sort out all the liars and the cheats, won't he? Where there's injustice, he will bring justice. Yes? That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. So here's my question for you. Why do we get upset when God chooses to do a bit of it in advance? That's all that's happening here. He's doing a little bit of that, but with a bit of advance planning. You see, Ananias and Sapphira, I want you to see this, are pretending to be holy. Pretending to be generous. And secretly they lie to God. And we have a choice today, don't we? Of are we going to seek after God? Are we going to love him? Are we going to follow Jesus? Or are we going to choose to follow something else? In the case of Ananias and Sapphira, it was their wallet. You see, to claim, if you're here this morning, you say, yes, I'm a Christian. I am a child of God. It means having the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It means we have to live differently. And I tell you this, there are consequences if we fake it. If it's just a veneer, if actually we're not really loving God and following after him, but we want to make the appearance that we are, there are consequences to it. God knows. God finds out because God sees our heart. The problem isn't, it might work itself out as what they spend their money on, but their problem starts in here. This is what it says in 5.4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Jesus says in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Ananias and Sapphira, unlike Barnabas, valued the things of this earth, their money more than the mission of God. They wanted to keep back for themselves some stuff more than other non-believers hearing about Jesus. And I think it's really simple for us. If we... That was not simple. If we profess Jesus as Lord, if you're a part of this community, if you make that claim this morning and say, yes, he's my savior, not only should we live by that claim, but we should be prepared to be judged by that claim too. We should stand up and actually uh, pass the test, if you like. Ananias and Sapphira paid the price for not living it out. And great fear came upon the company of God's people. Now, I'm not saying this morning, there's a box at the back right there. I'm not saying this morning, if you don't put money in this morning, that God's going to strike you down. I might be saying that. Don't know if you want to risk finding out. (laughs) I'm joking. But seriously, it's about our hearts. Where our treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart is also. That's why I want to kind of just um, 
finish by just talking about giving a little bit, the kind of practical stuff for us at Redeemer King. Carl's already shared the fantastic news that a charity application that should take 30 days for them to get back in touch with us, and then a further six weeks when I phoned them up, I said, well, how long? If everything's perfect, how long would it take for you to process it and we can get registered as a charity? And they said, well, after the 30-day period of assessment, if everything is perfect, it will be at least six weeks. So that, by my terrible maths, is 10 weeks. That it should take at least, if everything's perfect. Ours came back in one. Completed. No questions. Everything perfect. And you go, it's nothing short of a miracle. There's not enough amens going on here. It's nothing short of a miracle. Oh, that was good. That was encouraging. Thank you, Barnabas. It's remarkable. And so the good news is that actually we're a charity. If you go on the internet and you go on the whole registered charities and type in Redeemer King Church, we appear. We've got a number and everything. And what that means is that we can actually now have an activated bank account. That's good news. Uh, I think it's great. I've just talked about generosity. I was like, yeah, bank. Oh, oh, no. And the other good news is we've got some forms, as Carl said. With uh, Carl's put together a little letter, which is lovely, um, and there's some information on gift aiding as well. And what we want to say is, if you're part of this community, if you're a part of Redeemer, Redeemer King Church, and you want to advance the kingdom of Jesus, you want to see people brought into a relationship with Him. It not only takes our time, but it takes our money as well. We want to do so much. We want to do stuff at Christmas. You know, we don't have this room for free. We don't have the room over there for free. We pay an hourly rate. We have costs. We have debts to pay, probably. We have outstanding balances to pay before Christmas. Carl said a couple of weeks ago, we could really do with about £1,000 between now and then. That's still exactly the same. And that's like the bare minimum. That's not, to, that's not to employ anybody. That's not to do anything else. That's just to cover our rent and to be able to bless the community, to be able to put on a fantastic Christmas event. Because... We think, as a leadership, that everything that we do, we should do well. If we want to say we've got an almighty, awesome God, we don't want to do a lame event, because that doesn't say we've got an awesome God. That says we've got a lame God. We want to do things well. And, you know, to do things well, sometimes it costs a bit of money. To have leaflets printed, to tell people, to say, come along to this event so you can hear about Jesus, so we can tell you about this incredible guy who saved us. So there are forms at the back, and we want you to take them. We want you to pray about it, and there's details on there too. But I just want to run through some questions that you may have, and you might want them answering. And also, it might be that, okay, in the future, you go, why am I giving again? Why am I giving to Redeemer King Church? You can go back on YouTube, you can go back on the internet, and you can watch it again and go, oh, yeah, that's why. So it's just four questions of uh, why give, how do I give, who gives, and what am I giving for? Is that all right? So just four questions that hopefully I can answer for you so you've got a bit of an idea so that we don't have to play 20 questions each and every week, but you can keep referring back. So why give? I already answered this a little bit in the sermon, so I won't go over all ground. But we give as a response to the grace and love that God has shown us. This is a great quote by Mike Pilavachi. Generosity is a response to grace and an act of grace. To be cheerfully generous with our time, our money, and our affections is to reflect God. To be generous is to be like Jesus. And we're called to follow after him, become like him, be godly, be holy. Because our God is a God who gives, isn't he? 
He gave his one and only son for us. And what did we give him in return? We gave him our sin. We don't give anything to God. We just take, take, take. Yet God chose to step in and gave us the greatest gift. So our response to the greatest gift of all time should be a generous spirit. It should be, actually, I've got the joy of the fact that I'm saved and I would love other people to come into a relationship with Jesus too. Too often we ask this question, what can I get for myself? Instead, we should say, what can I give from myself? So too often we say, what can I get for myself? What we should be asking is, what can I give from myself? We give because the scripture, the Bible, the word of God instructs us to. Paul in his letters to the church in Corinth uh, says all sorts of things. Just read chapter 8 and you'll have a full kind of, this is how, so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is how we should give, why we should give. And to summarize that whole chapter, he says, Christian giving is proportionate giving. Firstly, you have to be willing and desire to give. We shouldn't be people that give through gritted teeth. We should be people that give cheerfully and give generously. That's the first thing. Once we've got past that hurdle of going, oh, I don't want to give my money, and saying, oh, what's mine is yours, there are kind of some guidelines that Scripture throw out for us. And it's, it's a gift that is in proportion with what the giver have. Usually, as the Bible says, it's 10% of your income, what we call tithing. If you read through the Old Testament, you find it. Um, and tithing isn't 10% of once you've paid your rent, once you've paid all your bills, once you've eaten out four times a week and you, temp- you tithe 10% of whatever's left. That's not tithing, it's whatever comes in. So before your other bills are paid, before your rent goes out, before your mortgage is paid, it's I'm going to give back to God. 1 Corinthians 16 tells us that there was collections made for the work of the ministry. Now, the 10%, I want to say this, as a biblical guide, is generally not a maximum, but a minimum. Here's stories of people that gave 10%, they give 15%, they give 20%, they give 25%, and God never lets them short. We give as any have any need, which means giving and trusting that God will meet our needs if we step out and meet the needs of others. I want you to think of it this way, because you might be going, 10% seems like a real lot of money if I consider X amount comes into my account a month. I want you to flip it round. Don't think, why does God get 10% of my money? Think, why do I get to keep 90% of God's money? Think of it in that way. Not, why do I have to give God 10%? Why do I get to keep 90% of what's his? Because at the end of the day, it's his, isn't it? We're just here temporarily. So every time you think like that, just flip back to that scenario. Why do I get to keep 90%? It's a bit of a game changer, that, actually. And we want to make being able to give as easy as possible, um, which is hopefully why we've got the charity bank account anyway. So we give as a response to good news. We give uh, our time, our money, our affections, because God has given for us. So that's, that's biblically why we do it. It's not because me or Carl says you have to. Just ignore that. It's because God says this is we want you to cheerfully give, and we want to create an opportunity to do that at Redeemer King Church. Secondly, how? It's easy. There's a box at the back. You can put cash in. Um, we can now take checks, I suppose, probably. Um, you can do it online via you know online banking. 
um, donations through the CAF, um, which is Charity Days Foundation website, um, or via standing order. And the reason I say standing order is this. It's helpful for us to know how much is coming in in advance. If we know that £400 is coming in next month, we know we can afford to be able to do what we want to do. We, we're not going to misuse and not steward correctly what God gives to us. It just helps to be able to know what we're doing and envision the work going forward. And if you pay tax, um, there's a gift aid form that we want you to fill in because that means we can claim an extra 25% on your giving. And it's no cost to you. It's not like you have to pay extra, but an extra 25% comes in. So that's great as well, isn't it? Thank you, the government. Right? You don't seem enthusiastic. I think that's fantastic. It's for charities anyway, you know. Give government are always taking. They're giving something back here. It's good. Third is this. Who? Who gives? And I want to just address this because you might be sat there thinking, well, I'm the needy in that scenario of Acts chapter 4. How can I give? How can you expect me to be generous? You haven't seen my bank account. You haven't seen uh, my possessions. You haven't seen my time, my schedule. I'm too busy. How can I do it? So that might be you. And I said the Bible teaching is not specifically aimed at rich people or poor people. But it's aimed at God's people, whether they are rich or poor, whether they have a home or no home. The principle is the same, to be generous in what we have. That's why Christian giving is proportionate giving. We're not saying you all have to give the same amount a month because for some people that might not be much money, but for some people that might be an awful lot of money. But the idea is that we're generous with what we have. And seriously, I want to say, trust me on this when I say this, because me and Grace are in a bit of a funny position at the moment from a worldly point of view in terms of where we're going to live, how much money we're going to have, where's X coming from, where's Y coming from. God keeps you. When you're generous, when you don't know when the next paycheck is coming in or x or y but you still in that moment say actually we need to be generous god keeps you and i think god honors those that honor him it's amazing how god keeps us and looks after us and the fourth thing i want to say was what am i giving for if i'm giving this money because the bible tells me to and there's easy ways of doing it and it applies to all of us what for what's that money going to be spent on And you'll notice, and I want to say this at the start, not so that it can be abused, but it's really interesting, isn't it, that with the apostles, they brought their money and they just laid it at their feet. Now, I'm not suggesting we have that as a practice, but it tells you something, doesn't it? That those people really trusted their leaders with the money. There wasn't conditions on it. There wasn't, I will give if you promise to spend money on extra branding. I will give if you promise that it's spent on putting on this course or that course. There doesn't seem to be conditions on the early church's giving. They're just being generous and saying, you know what? If this is for the advancement of God's kingdom, I'm going to say, I'm going to give it to you and uh, you'll be good stewards and we trust you with it. Now, that means you've got to trust us. And that means that we've got to demonstrate trust to you as well which is why everything will be audited, there'll be accounts, we'll be able to show you where money's spent and all those things, because it keeps accountability. And that's really important, isn't it? Because trust works both ways. So that's the first thing I want to say is that our giving, what are you giving for? Well, we're giving for the work of the church, but it should be, in a sense, without condition apart from that, that this is going to the advancement of the Christian faith. This is going to seeing people added into the kingdom of God. End of chapter four is what we want, isn't it? 
I asked at the start, don't you want to be a part of a community that's like the end of chapter four? Generous, everybody's happy together, nobody's in need. I don't see any reason why we can't be an authentic Christian community where the needs of God's people are met and we preach the gospel and we tell people about Jesus. Can you see any reason why we can't be like that? I can't. If they could, there's no reason why we can't. So that's what we give for. We give to be able to do all this, to be able to preach the gospel, to be able to share with you, to pay for microphones, to do all those kind of things. If you watch online, to be able to have online content, to be able to watch again sermons on YouTube, or there's going to be blogs coming up soon. All of those things are completely free. But they're to further the Christian message. And you know what? They take time. They take money to be able to produce and do. And so that's one of the reasons that we give, to be able to share Jesus with more and more people, both in person here, but also there will be people, I I hope and pray in the future, that will be blessed as a part of the technological ministry that we'll have at this church. That people will be able to tune in from India and watch a sermon on giving and go, oh, that's really blessed me. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Or someone can just accidentally find Redeemer King Church and hear the gospel of Jesus and be saved behind their computer screen. be remarkable but that's why we give so that people come into a relationship with him the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common that's what we want and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all that's what we want as well isn't it we want to hear about jesus we want to hear about what he's done for us upon the cross And we want God's grace, that God would grace us with himself. So if if we want to do that, I want you to kind of think prayerfully consider how you as individuals can be generous with what you have um, and help be a part of furthering the kingdom of God here at Redeemer King. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are the most generous God. That when we were sinful, uh, still are God, when, when we were far off from you, rejecting you, you sent your one and only son in the world because you love us. And we want to see that uh, invasion of heaven to earth as your generosity towards us. We didn't deserve it. We haven't earned it, but you're generous towards us. And Lord, we want to, in a way, worship and glorify and thank you. And we do that by showing generosity to each other. And we do that by uh, showing our generosity and our appreciation of you, that our giving, let it be an act of worship. Let it not be a chore. Lord, we pray you change our hearts. That you wouldn't just change our actions, but change our hearts. That our treasure truly would be Jesus. That our treasure truly would be everlasting life with him. That that would be our core value. And that in doing that, our heart would be there also. That our heart wouldn't be for, I'm too busy or... I've not got enough on or I don't have enough of this or enough of that and I can't do this or that. But our heart would be, I want more of Jesus. I want to bless people. I want to encourage people. I want to be generous. For the sake of God's kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray you create in us a new heart. You change us because our default position is to hoard and to keep for ourselves. So we pray you'd make us more like you. Make us more generous with all that you've given to us. 
And we do ask for your blessing upon um, the work of this place. Lord, that you would really use this to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to Chesterfield and beyond. That we would see people brought into the kingdom of God through this ministry. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us so far. And we just ask that you would continue to grace us. Continue to just pour out your spirit upon us. We don't deserve it, but we call upon you. And even now as we come back together and we'll sing together, we ask for you to come, that we would meet with the living God, that you'd be generous with yourself this morning as we meet with you. Lord, and we ask as well that Holy Spirit, you would just be tweaking in our hearts that if there are those amongst us who are in need, that you might be able to use us to help meet those needs. God, would you speak to us during this time of worship? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.